Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hello and welcome to episode 49 of the Uncovered Podcast. I'm Baram Kazi. You can find me at Def Mango on Twitter. And with me, of course, as always, is Jared Kimber. You can find him absolutely everywhere. And Jared, we have lots to talk about. But first things first, the Asia Cup 2023 is underway. Thank God. And India have absolutely pulverized Pakistan in their Super 4s game today. They won by a whopping margin of 228 runs. And if you think about it, you know, their top four, all of them fired. You know, Rohit and Shubman, they got 50s. KL came back after injury. He got a ton. Kohli got a ton. And they got to 356 before their seamers made the ball talk under lights in Colombo. And then Kuldeep Yadav ended up, ended up with a, a five-wicket haul of his own. So that was pretty much the most complete victory that India could have had in the build-up to the World Cup, wouldn't you say? Yes. Did you not feel that India should have scored about 40 or 50 runs more? They could have. Because like, Harris Ralph was out, right? I wonder if... I wonder what England or Australia would have done from mm. that position. Um, it's we're, we're not talking about whether they won the game or not because they did, and it was fantastic. And KRL all made runs, so mm -hmm. uh, that is always funny because now people can't claim he never makes runs. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, Both him and matter. Ishan Kishan kept wicket today. Both of them. Yeah. But, yeah. but, but um, yeah, so uh, that would be my – I mean, I'm – you're nitpicking just because we're getting close. Oh, I'm nitpicking. You're fine. Mm. But um, just because we're getting close to the World Cup. But if you're two wickets down and you've got a couple of players scoring it around, around, around about a run of ball, you could argue that they could have scored more. Having said that, mm. once the lights came on, it looked like a completely different pitch. Maybe it was mm -hmm. always a slightly more difficult pitch and India just batted really well. I don't know. Um, I don't like it when two teams are two wickets down and, and people don't have insane strike rates. Because um, mm. I feel like you haven't pushed it as hard as you could have, but interesting, great win for them. Uh, you know they've been playing Pakistan seemingly on an endless loop now for yeah. uh, a lot of time. Made the joke on Twitter that uh, you know the ICC could work out how to make every India-Pakistan game rain out. Because you actually, I was wondering yeah. if they would make more money from having consistent rained games um, <laughs> and then having reserve days. So let's say you get like half a game on one day and then half a game on another and then half. Mm. They just kept doing that forever, right? Yeah. They probably make more money than the World Cup. Um, mm. uh, so it's something worth looking into for the future. Also, we're very close in this tournament so far, Baram, to actually having an India-Pakistan test match because they've played so many days <laughs> of cricket against each other at this point. So yeah. there's some funny things from it. But yeah, I, I saw a bit of India bats, not enough mm. to make it the huge claim that you know, they should have batted harder. Um, but I saw enough of the back end of the innings where I did wonder why they weren't pushing 100%. But 
But their bowling, I thought, was magnificent. Um, you know, Boomer was pretty much unplayable. At I don't mm. know how he didn't end up with more wickets. Um, yeah. Hardy Pandya coming in and bowling that uh, wobble ball delivery uh, just shows you how hard it is to play that ball when it's bowled perfect, mm. uh, perfectly. Shardul did well. And then Kuldik came in, cleaned up. That's kind of what they mm. want, right? If if they can yeah. get wickets out of Hardik and and Shadow in the occasions when there's anything in the pitch for Seamus, and then Kuldik and Jasprit, uh, or two of their other four bowlers in any situation can strike, that's the dream. And that's kind mm. of what we saw today. Um, and Pakistan, you know, didn't look particularly good. Although I thought Pakistan looked pretty good in that other half a game that we saw. Yeah. Was it the half a game before that? I don't, how many half a games yeah. are we up to? I'm not sure. We now. had one half a game and then two game or one game over two days. So one yeah. full game over two days and one half I'm, I'm a game. I'm very confused at this point. I, I understand <laughs> one day is, I don't understand uh, one day is over two days. I did that in the World Cup final once and I ended up having to uh, share a room with Neil Mantle. Uh, I don't <laughs> recommend any of it to anyone. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned how, you know, India could have upped the ante. And I guess you could make that case for Virat and KL because they were the batters at the time where, you know, Haris Rauf was gone. India were 145 odd for two wickets and they had half a game left, right? So from there on, they could have, could have in theory, pushed harder. But if you look at their openers, right? Particularly the way Gil and Rohit Sharma tackled Shaheen up front. I was super impressed because... This was something that we don't get to see very frequently anymore. Gil was stepping outside of his crease and, you know, playing his shots. And albeit, you know, Shaheen did get him later on with the slow mm. one. The way they nullified Shaheen with the new ball, who is one of the most potent threats in contemporary limited overs cricket, I think that was where India really won a very, very crucial battle. And it's good confidence for all of those guys because, you know, they're playing as a unit. They don't always do that. They rest the, their players more often than not. So them playing, you know, ODI cricket with whatever they deem as their full unit is something worth noting. And yeah, I just feel like up front, they kind of broke those shackles and some mental barriers that they might have had versus Shaheen. I don't know. That's just my take. Yeah, I mean, I mean, all things considered, they batted a lot. As I said before, nitpicking aside, hmm. they batted a lot better than they did against um, Pakistan the first time, right? So yeah. you've got to be happy with that. Maybe the mm -hmm. conditions were in their favor because it did yeah. feel like it was two different pitches, but maybe it was They wasn't. definitely they got the better of the conditions, you know, yeah. both bowling and batting. But then again, they beat Pakistan by 228 runs. So you can't really make the condition argument yeah. over here. I mean, you could say they steamrolled them. Exactly. Uh, I mean, maybe that's the case. And maybe it's not. Maybe they just bowled very well or, or whatever, hmm. whatever that may be. But, but yeah, look, it's a step up from the last game against Pakistan. Yeah. Um, I think for me, as I said, the, the ability for your fifth and sixth bowler uh, to take wickets uh, mm. on, on a helpful surface, but still take wickets and, and bowl very well in those conditions. And Bumrah looking unplayable. And Kuldeep as well. Like uh, Chahal yeah. took his first uh, county wicket, I think, today. Mm. Um, there's some pressure on Kuldeep. And I, I still worry about... Yeah, I still worry about his flexibility as a bowler when things aren't going his mm. way, in a way that I don't as much with Chahal. But uh, when he's bowling very well, I don't know if there's a better wrist spinner in one day cricket um, mm. in the world, like Adil and or the two Rashids, if you will, mm. you know, are, are very good. Shadab is very good. I'm not sure any of them are better than Cool Deep at the moment mm. um, at, at doing their job. You know, Zampa uh, as well. You know, sort of on that on that tier just behind him. Um, mm. You know, it's it's good for India. It, the only thing that I would worry about is that because they didn't put their foot down, we didn't see everyone come out and smack the ball everywhere. Yeah, it's a, it's a small thing. Th that that is the sort of thing that it's one of 
there's not much you can do about it. I remember there was a World Cup, might have been the t- one of the first T20 World Cups, where Australia maybe, I can't remember, made the semifinals or the finals, whatever it was, and their top order had been making all the runs. And then they got mm. to the, the final and, and their top order failed and you know no one else had had a bat, right? Sometimes that's an issue because I'm seeing the Asia Cup as a, a um, warm-up event. I would want to see more of your players have a go, even if it's just coming in for 20 or 30 balls and you know mm. see how they would have thrown themselves at the end of that. But again, like doesn't matter. You won the game and and you move on. And hopefully next time we can have a three day one day game. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll see about that one. Two reserve days. Who, who knows? But it's interesting you bring that up, right? Because India's seamers they were getting ridiculous amount of lateral movement and they were bowling pretty well off the seam. And then Kuldeep kind of just completes that whole equation because you're going to have Jadeja in there, right? He's absolutely imperative to all Indian units, whatever format you take, right? So it's. Nice that they have that combination working well together. And uh, now they have a fantastic problem to have with respect to the middle order because hmm. KL came back from injury, scored a ton. Ishan Kishan scored 80-odd in the middle order. And Shriya Sire, who we thought, you know, initially would be playing at number four, all of a sudden it doesn't seem like he'll be playing at number four. So good problems to have for India. Yeah, I mean, hey, you always have situations where, it, have a look at England at the moment. And we'll talk about them late, later on um, specifically. But but you, you look at England at the moment and having Harry Brook and Liam Livingston in form at the same time. Mm. Well, actually, Harry Brook has made any runs for a couple of weeks. But yeah. you know what I mean? Like in general. And he's also opening, right? So got yeah. to him some but, but having in the, having both of them making solid cases mm. is the better situation. Whereas if you look at the bowling of England, um, or I'm trying to think of, you know, you look at Tim Southey and Lockie Ferguson. Mm-hmm. You know, Southey hasn't looked... Like he's he's completely front line at the moment. Ferguson has been struggling with injury over the last you know couple of years now. I hope he's been struggling mm-hmm. with injury, otherwise he's not bowling very well. Um, you'd much rather be in the situation where both of them are bowling well, and you have to make a crap decision in that direction than the other way. And so it looks like India are moving towards that. From a, I, I don't think that I'd be shocked if there's anyone who works in Indian cricket who believes that KL Rahul couldn't make runs under pressure. But making them in the Asia Cup against Pakistan yeah. is certainly, at the very least, buys KL Rahul some breathing space. And, you know, it allows, uh, you know, his t- Twitter protectors um, a chance yeah. to, you know, get back in the conversation a little bit. So mm. a lot of good things from from India's point of view. What about Pakistan? Because I was kind of watching this a little bit more, only because Pakistan were rolling a little bit, you know, for me. And I was kind of looking for more things from India. And I kind of... Not ignored Pakistan because obviously they were out in the field. I saw it. They were wearing green. But <laughs> are you worried about this game from Pakistan? I'm not worried from a holistic perspective because, look, they've been winning a lot and everyone's allowed that one bad game. And, of course, you know, when things go south versus India, they tend to go extremely south and they completely fold early on in the game. We've seen this time and again. We saw it in the 2019 World Cup as well. I think Babur, maybe in hindsight, definitely should have, you know, uh, batted first. Because Pakistan seamers under those, you know, conditions, under lights, would have been far more potent. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, when they came out to bat, when they lost their first two, three wickets, it didn't seem like they had a plan anymore. Like right? there was no plan B. But then again, you know, they might not find themselves in these sort of situations where they're chasing 350 very often, you know, because they do have the bowling for it. What I am more concerned about is that Pakistan's woes didn't end with today's game, you know. I've been saying this and I don't even, I've lost count of how many shows I've mentioned this. And you've just mentioned that you are looking at the Asia Cup as a warm-up tournament. Pakistan isn't. 
They've been no. playing everyone consistently, game after game. And now, you know, Haris Rauf couldn't bowl today because he's pulled up with a niggle. Luckily, there's no tear in the MRI scan. So that's a, that's good news. And then Naseem couldn't bowl out his full quota, right? He couldn't bowl his last four deliveries. Iftikhar had to complete that over. And we're talking about this fabled Pakistan pace attack trio, right? How they're so, so good together and what sort of threat they pose, you know, come World Cup. And now two of those guys are a doubt for the rest of the Asia Cup. That's what it is. And you're already, Pakistan is called in for Shah Nawaz Dahani and Zaman Khan as backup seamers. We don't know exactly what will happen right now, but they're taking precautionary measures. And I just hope that, you know, if those guys are doubtful, they better not play them because that's been yeah. my hang up with the management for the longest time. And they don't, just don't seem to view the Asia Cup that way. And they've literally done everything they can to burn these guys out, who, by the way, have also been playing all those leagues. You've got to take that mm. into account. You know? I am. Um... I remember John Buchanan, he's a bit of a controversial figure at cricket at times, but I remember him calling World Cups, speaking about it in a way that no one in Australia ever had before. And I think it's the way that England now talk about World Cups as well, which is, and, and Australia do it, they do it in a worse way than England, but it's a similar kind of thing of you, you're looking to find peak performance at the right time. Hmm. And Pakistan just don't seem to be doing that. Now, I put to you that perhaps the new coaching slash management mm. structure is under pressure. Um, mm. And so because of that, they think, well, okay, so let's say they don't win the Asia Cup, right? Mm -hmm. And then they don't make the semifinals of the World Cup, even though they uh -huh. play well. Just another team knocks them out or whatever, or they get a couple net of Net run rate gets the better of them. Yeah, because net run rate or injuries, right? anything like They get the bad washout. They get the washouts against the teams they should beat and they don't get the mm -hmm. washouts against the team they, they might lose against. All that sort of happened crap. Happened to them in 2019, right? It yeah, yeah. I mean, those did. things happen almost in every World Cup, right? You, you, mm. you can have that. So for no fault of their own, you know, they didn't get over the line in the Asia Cup. And because maybe because they were holding some of their players back for the World Cup, and then they get to the World Cup and they don't make the semifinals. Back to back public losses. Mm. They no longer have the, the person who hired this whole new cricket management system, which is part of it, has already been ripped up, uh, is no longer their protector. Uh -huh. Do you think the management team and the coaching staff are pushing a little bit harder because uh, they're playing for their jobs? It could be. It could be very much possible. And also, I think added to that is the whole narrative that Babur has come so close to winning trophies, but he hasn't won a trophy. And the media in Pakistan plays on that, right? This is one of the better Pakistan teams that we've seen post-Waseem Bukhar. They've been some good ones. This is the most stable one. And it's got some, you know, world-class players like Babur, Shaheen, Rizwan, even Shadab, I would say, in limited overs cricket. You've got those you know, resources and they're marketable players. You know, even your pace attack. Like, these guys will get gigs in all other leagues, that sort of thing. And Pakistan cricket is, you know, respected right now, as at least as a limited overs outfit. I think that pressure, combined with the management pressure, might be playing on their minds that, look, we have might not win the World Cup, we've got to win the Asia Cup. And this is supposed to be a home Asia Cup. This is a great ODI team. They technically can still make the final. They just need to beat Sri Lanka and hope that, you know, yeah. rain doesn't screw them over one way or another. If, if I'm reading the table right, it's basically a straight shootout between them and Sri Lanka, isn't it? Pretty much, more or less. I mean, rain... Because Bangladesh has lost two, haven't they? Yeah. But there could be some complications and it could go to net run rate if, you know, certain games are washed out. So that wow. could still play a part. That's a fair point. Yeah. We may and, not have any more games. Exactly, because there are torrential rains in Colombo. But my basic worry, the biggest worry for Pakistan is that, you know, they rely heavily on their pace factory. You saw it against Bangladesh. It was a flat, flat tech in Lahore and they rolled them over for 192. 
that was an elite pace bowling performance because even that Bangladeshi team, you can argue that there is a bit of gulf in quality with Pakistan and Bangladesh. They're not bad. They, no, they no, no, no. more than thing. capable of getting 300, right? They did that versus Afghanistan. Um, so those are my worries that you don't want to burn out or injure your paces and you're clearly you know, losing that workload management game. So yeah, that, that is, is a bit, bit of an issue, a big one for me. But coming to the torrential rains, of course, we had the venue chaos initially. We were talking about that in the previous one. This time we had the reserve day chaos because India or well, ACC, I guess, and the PCB announced that there will be a reserve day just for India and Pakistan. And that, of course, caused a lot of uproar on social media. I was even calling them out. that, And I was even calling Pakistanis out because when this sort of stuff happens to Pakistan, they're the first ones to speak. But when they're benefiting from it, it's fine then, you know, uh, then you shouldn't be speaking up when the BCCI is asking for a certain amount of the revenue share from the ICC, right? That certain percentage. It's just hypocrisy for me at that point. And this whole reserve day venue chaos and everything, we've had these scheduling issues in the Asia Cup. They didn't move it to Palikele. We're still having these games in Colombo and the World Cup scheduling chaos. It, it just, it, it puts a sour taste in the mouth. And I think at this point, Jared, I'm comfortable with renaming or rebranding the Asia Cup as the Jasia Cup. That's what I want to do. <laughs> it's the, the most sacrosanct thing in sport should be who you play, hmm. right? It should be drawn out of a hat. It should be done on rankings. It should be done this yeah. sort of way. Cricket for a very long time has gerrymandered it so that India and Pakistan have to play each other, mm. even as we've seen at times when it hasn't worked out particularly well yeah. for the ICC. Um, it, Australia and England usually play each other in the early rounds of the World Cup. Again, another profitable mm. game. I'm sure there have been insurances given to TV companies over this sort of thing. I've been writing about it for years, right? Mm. And no one gives a shit. They are. <laughs> This, really, Jared, even the Sri Lankan and Bangladesh boards don't give a shit because yeah. they tweeted in support of the reserve day. Yeah, with almost an identical tweet. That was interesting. Yeah. Um, I want great work from the, the PR person who wrote that for them. But but the point <laughs> being that, like, I think it was Vikram, the Indian cricket comedian. Um, I've been on his, I think I've been on his podcast before. Mm. He did a very good skit about it where he was talking about that essentially the Asia Cup exists mm. because India and that. Pakistan can't play each other. <laughs> so they come up with an idea of how to play each other. We'll call it the Asia Cup. He's right. It's kind of mm -hmm. all it is. And, you know, the World Cup would exist without it. But the Asia Cup wouldn't exist without India-Pakistan, right? Doesn't mean yeah. the World Cup isn't better because we have India-Pakistan games. But, but you know, pl Pakistan playing against India is, a really re is the reason that the Asia Cup exists. It, it doesn't exist mm -hmm. for Hong Kong and Nepal, right? Like, mm -hmm. we know. Yeah. We know why it exists. And... Hong they Kong just, and Nepal only get that, you know, exposure so that India and Pakistan can get an easy game and play each other again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's there. actually yeah. there to, to gerrymander a, se a separate um, yeah. competition, but a separate game between them all. And look, th this is the problem with cricket, that so many of these things only exist for that reason. And cricket is the second most Googled sport in the world. The IPL is an incredibly important event. The uh, World Cup, both the World Cups, incredibly important event. The Olympics, being very interested in getting cricket involved for, you know, a long time now, right? It's a proper thing. And we still play it like where, like, we've got a couple of big brothers and a bunch of little brothers around. And the big brothers are going to mm. get whatever. They, it just, it doesn't need this anymore. And, you know, the fact that the facade completely drops by the reserve days, just like at that point, just fucking play each other. 
right? Because yeah. that's all you're doing. If you are, if if the BCCI were literally willing to go, no, 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 we're so desperate to play them, right? That we're going to have a reserve day because the BCCI is the one in the power here, right? They usually could have said, no, no, if it rains, it rains, right? It wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't just Pakistan who wanted this. Everyone wanted this on both sides mm. because it does matter to them. If you're a, if you're the BCCI, it matters to you from a sponsorship point of view. It matters to you from a promoting the World Cup kind of view. All these different mm. things matter, and it's just it's the it's the I don't want to say hypocrisy because that's wrong mm. because the, you know it's always been there, but it's just that cricket should matter and it should and it should be planned correctly and it should be run correctly. And mm. every time we see something like this, it's like. What is even the point anymore, right? Yeah. This would be like the NBA having, you know, Golden's, oh, no, it wouldn't be Golden State, the Lakers and, and the Celtics, right? In two mm. different conferences. And it's like every year they play each other eight times on a weekend in prime time. <laughs> and you know, yet they only play the other teams in their conference four times each. Mm. It would be silly. And it's not that the NBA won't slip extra games and make sure that they're playing on Christmas Day and all those sorts of things, because they will. But they don't go to this level because this is when you actually take the piss out of the contest. And that yeah. is what this decision did. And mm-hmm. you know I don't give a shit about the Asia Cup, right? You yeah. now know why I don't give a shit about it if you did it before, <laughs> right? But I know so many people who follow cricket in Asia, and a few outside, but really cricket yeah. in Asia, absolutely love this thing. And I just think that they were just embarrassed, yeah. right? To, to, to have their love turned on them a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, and, and that for me, if the Asia Cup is going to matter, it needs to be done properly. If you had re- reserve yeah. days for everything, hmm. that's I, I get that. You you say you have re- reserve days for everything, and then what what they should have done is just made the other players play in the rain, um, <laughs> and not use those reserve days, right? Or have two games yeah. on the one day. I, I still don't understand why we can't have more of that in cricket. Anyway, true. I just think it was embarrassing for all those people because I think there's when was the first major Asia Cup? When did it become a bit of a 80s. thing? Eighties. Probably. Yeah, oh, yeah, no, no, but not then. No one cared then. When did it become a bit of a thing? Was it about 10, 12 years ago, maybe? No, early 2000s. I remember following it as a kid. 2004, you know, Shoaib Malik hit a 140 odd score versus India. Yes. That's one of like, my happy memories, right? So that means so, that there's a generation and a half of Asian cricket fans who've grown up thinking this matters. Hmm. And, they, and they've they been embarrassed a little bit by yeah. the brazenness and the nonsense of this. And look, as someone who, I could give you a thousand stories of this in cricket, right? Over and over and over again. And you you know that. But most fans don't know all that sort of stuff, right? And they don't yeah. understand it. And I just think they they were made to look a little bit silly. Uh, the people who really are like, no, Asia Cup's great. It's going to be our Euros. Yeah. You're not going to have England, England playing Germany. Um, you know, oh, oh, it was a it was um it was a draw. We'll play again tomorrow so that someone has a result. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, it, it was all too blatant this time around. We all know that this sort of stuff exists, or at least the educated fan knows. But just like you said, it was so brazen. And they were just in your face and, okay, we're doing this. And then the other boards are tweeting. It was kind of, you know, a circus at that point. Anyway, one final point on the Asia Cup. We cannot not talk about this. The Afghanistan analyst blunder. And uh, oh. that that analyst was supposedly Karachi Kings analyst in the previous PC, uh, PSL, which obviously does not make for great reading. Kind of makes you wonder why Karachi Kings have been so terrible. But... What's interesting is that once, you know, it was done and they clearly, the Afghanistan players didn't know that they still had a shot at winning. Mm. Jonathan Trott even came and said that they weren't communicated and that the match referee said the cutoff is 37.1. Now, Jared, you've worked as an analyst. Isn't it the analyst's job to cross-reference everything and make sure that at least 
he or she has all of those permutations at hand so that his team or her team is well informed towards what they can do to qualify yes <laughs> i mean so i think it was scotland we had a similar situation when net run rate was going to come in i tried to find out if there was an official person that was available and hmm. i felt like there wasn't and so i had to make a net run rate calculator myself and uh-huh. i made it in a way uh it's a bit tricky because overs are six balls and so i i literally had to contact the icc and work out specifically how they made their net rate cu- calculations based on the, the amount of balls in an over right it, hmm. it so it's you know you got recurring numbers and also it, it was it, it that's how full-on i took it uh, you know, uh, I talked about this on a wagon wheel as well. Laurie Colliver years ago gave me the Duckworth Lewis method, um, or Duckworth Stein or whatever it is now. Um, so I could use that as well, uh, when I needed to, even though that is given to you by the ICC, I want it in front of my computer at all times available to, I don't want a piece of paper that can blow away. I don't want some mm. cricketer dropping a bunch of coffee on it. I wanted it available <laughs> to me. That is what you should be doing. I, I'm not going to slam off this analyst mm. because I don't know the full story. Yeah, but it was really interesting that Jonathan Trott was like, "No one gave us that information." It would never have occurred to me, like even if I'd been given the information, I would have double checked it. Um, I probably would have yeah. triple checked it, and I probably would have gone with my numbers once they were double or triple checked over the ICC's mm. numbers, or I would have gone and said, "My number says this, your number says this. One of us has made a mistake here." Um, yeah, yeah. Look, it was bad. It was embarrassing, um, mm. and. It's the sort of mistake that should happen before you have analysts. But the other important thing to say here, Bayram, is that in, it's very hard to be a one-person analyst in modern cricket hmm. because you're, that person was probably logging video as well. There was probably multiple jobs that they, they were doing. Uh, the, other, the other thing that I would say is that um, we... Umpires make mistakes, administrators make mistakes, players mm. make mistakes, coaches play, make mistakes. This isn't the first mistake that an analyst has ever made with a cricket team. It will mm. not be the last mistake that an analyst has ever made with a cricket team. It just happened to be that this one was, you know, at a clutch moment and cost them, uh, you know, that situation. But we both know that these things happen and will continue to happen. This one just happened to be a little bit more public, right? Which is, yeah. you know, it is what it is. Um, and it's embarrassing. And hopefully... You know, they learn from it. And Jonathan Trott should learn from it as well. Yeah. Do your own numbers. Just do your own numbers. And I mean, the analyst, of course, I I, I see what element you're bringing into this. Of course, you know, he he too is human and is allowed to make a mistake and that's fine. But tell me, was there an analyst with South Africa in 2003 in the World Cup when incidentally Sri Lanka benefited of the same thing, you know, back then as well? No, no no, no teams had analysts back then. Mm. We have seen this a bit before um, as well. Not, that's obviously a really famous one, but it has happened at other times. Um, uh, but no, they didn't have analysts then. So the first analyst, we had some video people, but I wouldn't say mm. they were doing proper analysis from that, especially for that's something you have to work out. You know, you, the relation yeah. you need to understand Excel um, or, you know, a calculator. Um, uh, so yeah, no, the 2003 was before we had that sort of stuff. But yeah, these things have happened before and they'll happen again. And they'll happen mm. when they'll one day there'll be like eight analysts and someone will make a mistake and you know it won't be double checked and and all that sort of stuff and you know I made mistakes as an analyst all the time. Here's mm. a really good one of mine. It's such a weird story, but the nets in the UAE uh, they had one little hole in one of the nets, and I was there uh-huh. with the Scottish team, and someone drilled a drive and it went under the net and smashed me in the ankle. Right, yeah. 
And I was in the middle of sending all my stuff um, to the to the bowlers and the batters and, and to the team. And I pressed send, got smashed in the ankle, probably shut my laptop down, had to get the physio to come and look to see if I had really hurt myself. You know, ankle blew up, had a big bruise and everything on it. Couldn't walk properly uh, for the next few hours. I didn't realize that when you sent stuff on WhatsApp on your computer, that next time you opened your computer, if you hadn't sent it, it didn't send through. At that stage, it might have changed now, I don't know. So I thought I'd sent all this video footage of the, our opposition to the team, and it was only, might not have been, I don't even think they told me till after the game. Someone was like, why didn't you send anything through? And I was like, what do you mean? I made like nine videos of, hmm. uh, or it would have been more than that, it would have been like 15 videos. And so these things happen, right? It's hmm. a tournament, you're under pressure. We were, and you know, at that stage, Scotland weren't going to qualify for the World Cup. I was probably working out my net run rate calculator at the same time. <laughs> my son had gone to hospital during that tournament. Um, you know, all these random things are happening. I got hit in the, in the ankle. It hurts. Cricket balls hurt, man. Yeah. Um, and, and so the point is that these things happen. And, you know, my biggest um, embarrassment was only the, the other Scottish players probably knew about it, right? Whereas, fortunately, uh, for, yeah. for Afghans, uh, analyst uh, the world saw it and uh, quickly yeah. made fun of it absolutely and you got a feel for those guys who performed well because they were almost you know about to chase 290 odd in 37.1 overs which is even ridiculous for a batting surface and considering that this is Afghanistan and I mean just you know maybe from a broadcasting perspective is this something they could start putting on the giant screen all the multiple permutations if not for the players forget the players but what about the crowd and the fans who are watching that game live because they uh- would deserve to know right i think you're right i, I think mm. it should be out there i would never trust it if it was up for the fans or the broadcast mm. anyway that's not saying that the people who do the broadcast or who do that for the icc aren't right it's that their tournament isn't on the line right so i yeah. want to do it myself but i do think you're right it's you know I, I think we're getting to a stage where we're trying to appeal to casual fans and so mm. we're putting less and less on the scoreboard <laughs> Um, we were at the one day the other day, we were commentating it, um, uh, for SENZ in New Zealand and yeah. me and Dan Norcross were on and for a, about 40 seconds, we didn't have the score on the scoreboard, right? Ah. They just had all these random ads and, you know, promotional things and replays. And we're like, mm. we don't have that information. And you go to hundred games and, you know, big bash games were one of the worst for this of not knowing what had happened. Like once that mm. player was out, they didn't exist anymore. And I, I, I just think that those sorts of things are a mistake and that, yeah, we should have more educated um, information available for the fans. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a wrap on the Asia Cup. We'll be back after a short break. You're watching Uncovered with Behram and Jared. We'll see you shortly once uh, this ad is over. Get ready to take charge of your favorite leagues in Wicket Cricket Manager. Control the game, buy and sell players, and train them to victory. Play against friends, strangers, or challenge yourself. With your cricket knowledge, become the master on the pitch of Wicket Cricket Manager. Hello and welcome back to episode 49 of the Uncovered Podcast. You're with Behram and Jared Kimber. So, Jared, there's an ODI series going on in South Africa, Australia touring. They whitewashed South Africa in the T20 series, but we, of course, spoke about that. And some very interesting ODIs that we've had, you know, a couple. And, you know, the main story pretty much is, of course, Manus Labushain. He's been the talk mm. of the town. Uh, came in to, you know, Australia's rescue when Cameron Green copped one, you know, to the head. And uh, it's interesting because that was familiar territory for Manus Labuschagne. And uh, he scored a vital, unbeaten 80, took Australia home from a precarious situation. They were like seven down for 113, chasing 223. And then he went on to slam a quick fire ton in the second ODI 
much like you know what he did when he replaced Steve Smith all those years ago in the test yeah. match. So is he the best concussion sub of all time? Can we just make that statement? Yeah, I don't. Is it who would be second? <laughs> ah, yeah, that's a great question. Maybe Rizwan. He scored a fifty once for us. Did he? Yeah, I don't yeah. think there's been that many have there. Um, mm. But yeah, no. Look, he's been fantastic. I'm, I'm, I was I was talking to Adam Collins, and um, and he was sort of saying that you know once when once Manus gets in this kind of a, a mindset, especially I think he thinks he's been I want to say underrated in T20. Mm. T20. What is it? One day cricket. One day. Maybe underrated is the wrong term, but I think he thinks he's not been given the opportunities that he should have. I don't think that's true. I, I think he played a lot and wasn't very good. Yeah. Um, but he does think he's got something to prove in that. I think he had a very good year. Might have been the first year of COVID, uh, where you know he averages around forty at a, at a decent strike rate, and then the following year he really did struggle a bit. And so I think from that perspective, you know, uh, things have changed quite dramatically. Um, and with that, with that, he's got to put a lot of pressure on them, right? That's, and you know, that again, that's a good place to be. Mm, He's definitely staked his claim for, you know, World Cup uh, spot. And I'm convinced that Jared, if I cop a blow to my head and Marnus replaces me on these podcasts, that's history. I'm history. I'm done. It's Marnus's yeah. podcast, then that's he's, how he's good actually he thinks because <laughs> uh, I haven't asked him on a podcast. I actually did. I tell you, I tried to get him to commentate uh, with the sports, yeah. um, but I think I, he was on holiday in France, and so hmm. he couldn't come in. Uh, look, Marnus watches some of these videos, and I know he's read some of my articles and stuff um, hmm. as well before. He's a, one of those people who's genuinely interested in cricket, and so I'm not going to say he is going to replace you, but it's a possibility. <laughs> yeah, and if you're watching, he might replace this Marnus, me. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. But if you're watching this, Manas, stick to cricket. You know, we love watching you bat. So yeah, that that's your forte. Please don't replace me. Anyway, another thing that I noted in this series, of course, I didn't catch all of it. I caught it in phases. But even if you just look at the scoreboards, right, it tells you a story. Mitch Marsh's captaincy has had this trend where Australia are playing with a freedom where they're just expressing themselves. And in the first game when they were chasing 223, it seemed like they were chasing 323, the way they were going about it, right? Chased it down and I don't know, the 41st over. And even though they had lost wickets, they kind of just, you know, went along nicely and then fixed that. And in the second game, they got 392. And you'd have to say that even though, you know, Warner and Manus got tons. And David Warner, by the way, is the high, he's got the most tons in international cricket now for an opener. Fun fact. Mm. And uh, Travis Head and Inglis also got 50s. But I think it was that change of approach that brought about that 392. And I think that this is a watershed moment for Australia because I haven't seen them absolutely throw the kitchen sink at it in ODI cricket thus far. And now we're getting to see this and this, these are ominous signs for the World Cup. Yeah, it's, look, it's something that I've talked with, with people in the Australian camp before. And I know in, I think around 2019, they honestly thought what England was doing was a bit of a gimmick, a, a hmm. bit like they did with baseball, right? And But if you also look at the sort of players, like having Mitch Marsh at number three, so he used to bat further down and play more of a Joss Butler type of role. Um, you know, uh, Tim having Tim David in the side, believing in Aaron Hardy so that you've got extra, you know, you've got batting to, what, number nine, I think, in some of those games. Hmm. I mean, so Ashton Agar comes really down the order right now. Yeah, so I, I, I don't think when they made 392, he played though, did he? I don't think he might have played that game, but he played a vital role in the first one. In the first one, had an yeah. unbeaten forty-eight. Yeah. So, so they're clearly experimenting with these longer batting lineups, and mm. that allows you to go harder, right? And yeah. um, I, I, I think we know that there's talent there. It, uh, I don't think it's I. One thing I would disagree with you on, and mm. not massively, but is I don't think it's like oh Mitchell Marsh is there 
And so mm. his captaincy has unfurled them. I think this mm-hmm. is what they want to do. And they currently have a team where, so if you look at, I just want to go, I'm trying to find that scorecard. Yeah. So the one where they made the 233, right? Where mm. they chased 233 down in whatever, what did you say? It was 40 overs. 40 right, so overs or something. Yeah, they're 40.2 overs. Yeah. So mm. Warner opens with Head. You've got Mitchell Marsh. And so Head and Mitchell Marsh in your top three, you've probably got between four and six overs of, of part-time bowling. At number four, you've got Cameron Green. So let's add another four. So you now have 10 overs mm. available to you, um, you know, in, in that top four. And if Glenn Maxwell was playing, again, they would have yeah. more overs in, in that, right? Sure. Marcus Stoinis then comes in at six or seven. I think he might have come in at seven in that game. Mm. Again, a little bit more um, uh, flexibility when it comes to bowling. Right. Then they had Sean Abbott who can hit them a little bit. And then they had Ashton Agar who can hit them a little bit. And then the other game, Aaron Hardy comes in at nine. Right. Not expecting Aaron Hardy to do that um, in, in a World Cup game or anything right now. But that flexibility is what they're looking for. And that's England. Right. After, after laughing at England when England, <laughs> uh, when England changed their white ball cricket, they're now copying them. And I think that's the thing that I've taken out of this. Uh, the only other thing I would add is, you would have to say, and they're playing in South Africa and they don't have a full mm. team and all this sort of disclaimers. Right at the moment, even with what India's just done, I would say that Australia looked like the most informed team in one-day cricket. Mm. I don't think that matters as much because not everyone's playing. You know, Australia's changing their lineup. England's changing their lineup. New Zealand's changing their lineup. You know, Asia Cup's a whole different kettle of fish, all these different things. But right at the moment, do they not look like the team that is most likely to win? It's, and it's really interesting because they have done it without, uh, you know, I don't think Cummins or Stark. Um, I don't, or Steve I Smith. Yeah. Steve Smith's a really interesting one because the way they Yeah, where does playing, he fit in this now? You would have to argue that he shouldn't be in this side. <laughs> uh, but uh, but the, the point is that they look really, really good um, hmm. and they look really, really confident. Whether they're going to play like this in the World Cup would hmm. be my question to you. Because I'm not going to have Sean Abbott and Aaron Harvey, Aaron yeah. Harvey, Aaron Hardy in, in the side at that at that stage. Um, but I do think they they're going to try and steal overs through Stoinis, Maxwell, mm. who you know, uh, Mitch Marsh, um, Travis Head, um, etc. Um, whoever ends up in the squad and whoever ends up in the team, that sort of combination. And then they're going to over and they're going to attack as hard as they can with the bat. And then with the ball, hope that their two or three main frontline bowlers can do the majority of the damage there. They've given themselves options, right? You know, if they can move Agar to number eight, um, you know, with with Green, I've got Green before. Green's the other one I meant. Yeah. Um, You know, they've got all those different people that they can give overs to. And if they score 400 in games, how many other teams can do that even against Australians part-timers? Right, cool. knowing that you've got Mitch Marsh and Pat Cummins and Josh Hazelwood and uh, uh, you know Zampa, who, whichever combination of those they go yeah. with, you know, and the scoreboard that, pressure just on its own. That's what I mean. Pure, and that's what England did. That as mm. far as they can have a couple of great strike bowlers and hope that you can mix and match from a bunch of part uh, part time bowlers and and all rounders. I don't think they're quite as strong as mm. the you know the Stokes, uh, Moeen, you know, Wokes type of players mm. as all-rounders but they've maybe got even more of them and so yeah. you know I, I i like this. this this is the kind of thing that i i really enjoy is you know watching a team sort of unfurl in this way mm. yeah it's interesting and i mean 
it'll be more interesting to see how Steve Smith kind of fits into this because, of course, we can argue over here that he shouldn't be in the team, but you know that they'll make some room for him, right? Because he is Steve Smith. And, you know, when you have players like Stark and Cummins, sure, they are also boosting your bowling stocks, but they can hit a long ball as well. So I think the depth thing is still maintained in that Australian lineup. Imagine they had um, uh, Zamper at 11, Hmm. Stark at 10, Cummins at 9, Agar at eight, right? Yeah. And and then they just, as I said, mix and match the rest. It's it's mm. risky, but that is a team that you would say, well, with it can hit to number 10, right? Um, and you know, they could send Cummins out to to hit at the death, and they can maybe hit, send Stark up the order to hit some spinners if he wants to, if there's the right kind mm. of spinners on for it. Like there's some real flexibility in that. Um because they have so many all-rounders. What, I think before they often tried to do this with just Stoinis and Maxwell. Mm. But Stoinis, Maxwell, Head, Green, and suddenly a Marsh. Suddenly you're just like, yeah. well, now there's, there's some fun here. Who knows? Mm. I, I mean, Who? I don't know where to put them at the moment. I don't know where. Mm. I, I've been doing my power list, you know, of trying to work out which tiers teams should go in. And I, you could argue to me that Australia should be in tier two and you should argue that they should be the favorite. And I don't know what's right at the moment. They definitely are mentality monsters, right? Because they've had that history of oh, winning like a lot. That. So you yeah. should get that on a t-shirt. Menta- mentality <laughs> monster. Yeah, sure. Um, anyway, my man Sean Abbott made it to the squad, Australia's World Cup squad, and uh, we were literally just talking about his story in the previous podcast of how you know after the whole incident with you know hitting Phil Hughes on the head and then that trauma, then coming to England after being a seasoned domestic performer. He's done really well for Surrey with both bat and ball. And now he's come into this Australian 11, or oh, well, 15, as a chosen bench warmer, right? He's not going to start ahead of Stark, Hazelwood, Cummins. He's not ahead of them in the pecking order. But he gives Australia, again, like you mentioned, batting flexibility because Sean Abbott can also hit a few sixes of his own. So, do you think that this is the right kind of backup that Australia have gone with? Because they had lots of options. Berendorf did really well in the previous World Cup, right? And that also gives you the left armor thing. Mm. So I'm not, I'm not sure if, you know, I'm happy for Sean Abbott. I love the story. But does he make sense as that backup seamer? Uh, if they want the ability to have someone who can give them a little bit of extra batting, mm. which is what we just talked about, then yeah. he probably makes more sense over the other guys. So if you look mm. at the last World Cup, I can't remember who they beat. It might have been the West Indies where they were. They should have lost that game to the West Indies. Nathan Cool Denial. Yep. And it was, look, that was the arsiest innings I've ever seen. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was so lucky. But the point being that I think they set themselves up, um, you know, having Nathan Cool Denial, Cummins and Stark, uh, you know, and so maybe Sean Abbott makes sense of that. And perhaps you might bring him in for certain situations. Um, from that perspective, I think they have better bowlers than Sean Abbott, but I don't mm. think it's specifically about bowling. Um, and I do think it is that little bit of batting that is also helping from mm. that perspective. Look, right. he probably doesn't play right. Like it, this mm. is the thing. Um, I think Matt Roller wrote about this the other day, and you know Nathan Lehman was the one who opened my eyes about this. That we fast, you know, we get absolutely obsessed over the fifteenth player in the squad. You ain't winning <laughs> your World Cup with the fifteenth player in your squad. Perhaps if you're a really good team. There's a fluke situation where the 15th player is really important. But if they have an injury to a strike bowler, they would probably bring another strike bowler in, right? And, right. and so Abbott is not really there for strike bowling capability. Well, not that he can't take wickets, but he's not there for that kind of role. He's literally there that if they want to suddenly throw in a, a lineup where he bats at 10, right? Mm. You know, 
then they have the ability to be able to do that. Um, and then they've got batting all the way to 10, as we said before, maybe Stark bats 11 in that side and uh, you're mm. off to the races, right? Yeah, no, and uh, another very, very crucial component of this ODI team that Australia has assembled, and this guy just always falls under the radar, is Adam Zampa. You were talking about, you know, the leggies that world cricket has on offer, particularly in this World Cup, and you're talking about tiers. I think I would just go on and put Adam Zampa in tier two, because, of course, he's not like a tier one leggy, but he picked up a forfer in the second ODI. He has, what, 136 wickets in 81 ODIs at 28 apiece? Yeah, I think he's got a much yeah. better record than Adil Rashid, doesn't he? Am I? Yeah, I mean, an average of 28 for a leggy uh, and you've got a good wicket-taking rate, that's amazing. I, I mean, uh, I just think that Australia, you know, in this World Cup might be depending on him more than maybe the other guys because if he can get through those 10 overs and grab you a couple of wickets and, you know, don't doesn't go for a lot of runs, that could be the difference. Yeah, look, I've always thought he's a pretty good bowler in, in India specifically. Um He's mm. had some up and down figures in the IPL, but I think he's been better than he has been bad majority of the time. I think he's much more suited to Indian conditions than Adil Rashid is. Mm. He's just not the kind of leggy that Australia wants. They want, they would prefer to have Adil Rashid. They'd rather have someone who, you know, gives it a bit of a rip. And Zampa doesn't really uh-huh. bowl like that. He skids it through a little bit more. He's not exactly what they want. Look, I think Zampa's a really clever cricketer. Um, he's done mm. really well for himself and he, he could be really, really important. If they, they have someone in him that can regularly take wickets. If you have, if they can find three bowlers that can regularly take wickets this World Cup with a long batting lineup, that makes them such a dangerous team. Mm. You know, if that yeah. batting lineup works and those guys can take, you know, a couple of wickets each a game, put so much pressure on, on everyone else. And, and I really, you know, so you, I don't think you can, ha- that's the one thing I would say is just batting to number eight or n- number nine even is, mm in itself doesn't mean anything. You want the combination of scoring fast runs and taking wickets because the other yeah. team's going to be going really, really hard. I think Zampa does that. And, you know, the yeah. fact that he averages four better than Adil Rashid with half yeah. the fanfare, just <laughs> I, I've always found that a little bit baffling. But look, I think he's a really good bowler and, um, you know, Agar will get his chance again as well. The only issue that Australia have is they both spin the ball in the same direction. But, yeah. you know, Maxwell and Head um, can spin it the other way. So there's, Really good flexibility in that squad. Mm. I think that's what I like about it. It's a very flexible lot of, squad. A lot of diversity and versatility as well, if you really think about it that mm. way. And uh, yeah, I mean, the last time Zorbi played in an Asian World Cup, Australia won it. And he wasn't really a prime wicket taker. But, you know, he was very, very frugal and just got you that wicket at the right time. So I, I'm actually expecting big things from Zampa. Just before we end this segment, I want to talk about a South African because we haven't really spoken of them at all. But uh, Temba Bavuba. He scored a ton in the first game, carried his bat, and you could argue carried South Africa as well because without him, they would have never gotten to 223 or however many they got. And here's an here's interesting one, Jared. In 28 ODIs, Temba Bavuma has five hundreds and he's got 1,310 runs at an average of nearly 57. I find this extremely ridiculous because you talked about fanfare and Zampa not having the same kind of fanfare. Temba gets shat on, you know, from all corners. And this guy has got a phenomenal record. And I think he might even be one of the most more important players for South Africa come World Cup. There's two cricketers in the world that I think have been misused the most. And it's Dawood Milan and Temba Bavuma. They both, to me, profile like one-day players. And yet both of them were thrown into the other formats. I mean, to be fair to Milan, he made a good fist of it. But, you know, the international stuff flattered him a little bit. And Temba, like, 
trying to make him into a T20 player and not try yeah. him in one day cricket made yeah. absolutely no sense. He's a main the T20 captain. That's what yeah. they did. Oh, <laughs> he was made. I, I said this in 2018 or 2019. Um, I might have even seen him make runs in the one day team. I might have been commentating some games out in South Africa. And I was yeah. saying at the time, I don't get it, guys. You guys had a perfect one-day cricketer here. He's a brilliant fielder. He's a brilliant strike manipulator. He's a brilliant runner between wickets. And mm -hmm. he's got a beautiful one-day tempo. Why on earth are you trying to make him into a test player and a <laughs> T20 player? It's such a bizarre way of thinking about things. And, yeah, I think they've missed a lot of good years with Temba Bavuma. And he, he fits their game plan. I mean, that innings the other day was special in a different way because no one else made any runs. But the way that they play, Temba is perfect for that mm. new style of South African one-day batting. And uh, it's amazing to me that they haven't played him more. Uh, I, I think the World Cup will be really interesting for him to see if he can keep mm. that going. Because I would argue he hasn't, just hasn't played enough one-day cricket in his career. For, um, uh, not just as, as in, oh, I think he should play more. But mm. I, I would rather him be more experienced coming into that World Cup. But he's so experienced in so many other ways. Maybe that doesn't matter as much. Yeah, I mean, he has been playing international cricket for a while. And maybe that 28 ODI experience might not look uh, look like a lot. But, you know, he's been around for long enough yeah. to kind of understand the rigors of the international circuit. Anyway, before we take a break, we have some super chats over here. Mm -hmm. um, there's one about, will cricket, what will it take for cricket? Would you like to me to put it on the screen? Yes, <laughs> go for it. I, for some reason, can't do that. So, yeah, Reddit RCB channel asks, what would it take for cricket to overtake rugby in terms of popularity in South Africa? Money. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, I think I think rugby has a big advantage over, um, over cricket in the, that 1995 victory in the World Cup. Hmm. You know, Nelson Mandela getting up. And Nelson Mandela was a huge cricket fan, by the way. So, he would have got involved with that as well. But they had a World Cup at home. They've won it. South Africa didn't win the World Cup in cricket at that mm. same time. Rugby has, you know, rugby has been much better at getting non-white people involved and making it less clunky all the way through the game. That, again, hasn't been the case uh, for cricket. Mm. You know, we're still, ha I think when cricket gets, and I'm not a rugby expert, uh, Reddit RCB channel. Um, so, you know, I, I can't, I can't answer all this perfectly, but it feels like from top to bottom, South African rugby was much better at integrating the entire country and making mm. the entire country feel part of it. Now, how much of that was 1995? They win a World Cup and Nelson Mandela's there and Matt Damon's in the movie, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not arguing that those things. Maybe that's the difference. Maybe if South Africa wins the 2003 World Cup, um, you know, beats Australia in the final as the 747 jets do the flyover, the stadium, and everything, everything's very different. Then I don't know, right? Mm. What I do know is that South Africa made an absolute mess of integration and, you know, um, bringing players on and, you know, what they've managed to do within cricket just hasn't been as good as what rugby, rugby has managed to do. Um, the only other thing I would say is that, so cricket's problem in South Africa isn't just race. I don't know, even if you know this, Bayron, but it's not just race mm. because cricket in South Africa was a white English sport, right? Whereas the Afrikaners mm. and the English played rugby. So you've oh. even got a division there, mm. right? And and so Hansi Kronje is incredibly important for South African cricket, despite the fact that, you know, match fixing and the whole thing. Yeah. Um, no, I was watching that documentary on him on Netflix and he was huge. He was yeah. like their Michael Jordan. You because know? he was an Africanist. Africana. Mm. Africana. And he was friends Africana. with Mandela as well. 
You know, yeah, they had yeah, a very you take that away. It's the important thing. The important thing is that he represented a part of um, cricket that had not existed before again, right? Mm. And there still isn't. You know, it's 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 happening more and more now. But you know, technically, the the white Africana population had gone towards rugby, and mm. so again, you had this other division within cricket that that didn't make as much sense. If you go back and have a look at the original names of the South African cricketers. They just mm. sound like the English team, right? I mean, they basically right. half of them were English at times, right? Yeah. Um, and half the some of the English players were South Africans as well. There was such a True. you know interchanging of of those two teams. That, at that still point. happens, yeah. So but even more boys right now, yeah, even more so back then. So mm. you know, you you have that you had that situation. So cricket is coming from a disadvantaged position from a from a non-white background but it's also coming mm. from a split position of, of the white bracket it's not as bad a, a, a problem now but you know i've got a lot of friends who are you know africanas and they're probably the first generation in some cases or the first or second generation to really get into mm. cricket as much um as the the white english kids did right all these things matter in south africa it, it, it they yeah. shouldn't obviously it's all madness right but that's mm. how these things work i think south africa would have to fix the integration problems and then do that. Mm. But also the SA20 would have to be a huge thing. I would say right. that I went to a one-day game in Joburg in 2019. In fact, Temba may have made runs. That might have been one of the games he mm. made runs in. It was the most diverse crowd. There were so many young people there, so many women there, so many people from multi-ethnic backgrounds. And I've never been in a cricket crowd that was so diverse as that one mm. in every way. Um, and so that needs to keep happening and there mm. needs to be money in the sport and there needs to be everything else. And, you know, I, I don't know if it will ever be bigger than rugby. It may not be mm. right. It's not bigger than rugby in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, you know, there are certainly, you know, cricket countries where rugby is bigger than and cricket. And maybe that will continue in South Africa. It doesn't have to be bigger, but it does have to solve a lot of the problems and, and look, it's tough for South African cricket. They've kind of sold themselves to the IPL. Do they become a feeder mm. league? Does it become exciting at home? I, I don't know. It's, it's a really interesting one. Gautam, There's another um, one. Yeah. yeah. Gautam just sent money. Just No, just uh, click the one below it because oh. I think he initially sent money and then, okay, I'll read point. this out Thank for you. you. With this reserve day nonsense, the Indian bowling unit will have to play two days in a row. Do you think Shami and Prasid come in for Bumrah and Siraj? And if Shriyas is fit, he comes in for Rahul? Well, they won't risk Rahul now. <laughs> I mean, yeah. unless he's dropped. Uh, he, he, he certainly <laughs> won't be coming in uh, for the rest. Um... I would, I would certainly not bowl my frontline bowlers two days in a row this close to mm. the World Cup, unless one of them is desperate. You know, Bumrah just says, oh, yeah. "Just trust me, body's feeling great. I'm not in the red zone. Uh, you know, I've got really good rhythm. I'd just like to, you know, bowl for one more day." Um, uh, but I, yeah, I definitely wouldn't. I, I would, I'd be saying to them, "We're going to rest you until until they are very, very upset," and then I would still be arguing with them why we were going to rest them. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, you, that, I mean, that's that's what I was more surprised at. This tells me I, someone put in the comments. Oh, Pakistan asked. Um, I think it was uh, Ram Sharma said. Mm. Uh, 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 Pakistan asked um, to have this. The PCB asked for the reserve day. That's fine. Pakistan PCB asked for lots of things. That's yeah. not why we have the reserve day. We have the reserve day because <laughs> India specifically agreed to yeah. it. And this is why this tells me that this is an excess. This this is why it was absolutely blatant that it's all about mm. India versus Pakistan in this tournament is because India did this or the BCCI did this knowing that they were going to make their mm -hmm. bowlers potentially bowl two days in a row. Yeah, and that's true. that for me was the, 
you know, if that wasn't a light bulb moment for every cricket fan in the world, I don't really know what what might have been. So yeah, I think from that perspective, um, it was a it, it's a, it's a very very interesting one. But I uh, thank you for the super chats from Reddit. Yeah, yeah, no Reddit I, RCB yeah, channel, which is my, my, one of my favorite um, uh, Reddit channels, and Gautam <laughs> as well. Yeah, yeah, no thanks, Gautam and Reddit RCB. And uh, just to that similar point, uh, I agree, of course, that the seamers should be rested. But KL Rahul scored this one six versus Shadab, where he came down the track and used his wrists. Just based on that six alone, I would just play KL Rahul for the next few games because I think that's the sort of, you know, batting prowess that can win you things. But yeah, anyway, we're well over time and have lots of stuff to talk about. So we're going to take a break. You're watching the Uncovered podcast with Baram and Jared. And we'll catch you shortly after this. Welcome back to Uncovered. This is Bairam with Jared. And the England-New Zealand ODI series also kicked off. That one is, of course, um, you know, still not won by any of the teams yet, you know. And we're still one in all. contention because it's one-all. And it's interesting because in the first game, you know, England got to 290-odd. You were like, okay, you know, a lot of guys got scores, but they didn't end up with 300. And you you thought that, you know, they would give it a better fight. But New Zealand absolutely steamrolled England and won by eight wickets and chased the target down in the 46th over. Both Devin Conway and Daryl Mitchell, two guys who have been absolute unsung heroes of New Zealand Mm -hmm. cricket. And they've been, you know, on a roll since the last couple of years. And you look at all New Zealand scorecards or games that I've also watched personally when they toured Pakistan. These two guys, Conway and Mitchell, they have been delivering the goods for so long now, consistently. And, and Mitchell in England in particular, whatever format it may be, Test cricket, ODI cricket, whatever, the ease with which they chased it down. Jared, I believe you were at the game as well. Hmm. That certainly puts them in good stead. Yeah, I, I think England had a really poor game. I know they ended up with almost hmm. 300, but Liam Livingston probably saved them. Um, you know, when when you look at that, they just they just weren't with it and New Zealand I thought probably that New Zealand sort of stuffed with their bowling lineup a little bit I think if Mm. New Zealand had had a slightly better bowling lineup that game would have been over well earlier Um, Mm -hmm. and then as you said Mitchell and Conway came out I thought they batted exceptionally Uh, just the ability to score a boundary so regularly um, but just milk the field as well. They really mm. looked at, uh, you know, uh, a step apart from even the England batters um, at that stage. Mm. And then the very next game, you know, New Zealand should have won that second game. They were completely on top of England. Yeah. And that game, I needed to see that game from England because the game before, I was really disappointed with the way they went about their batting. And mm. then in that game, they exploded. And even when they lost wickets, they just kept going. And that is, yeah. I think, when England is at their absolute best. Um, and then, to be fair, their bowlers didn't really show up in the first game, mm. which is fine. They bowled much better in that second game. And, and you know, it was Livingston uh, and, and probably Topley that got them that win. But a lot of yeah. players, uh, you know, there was a, quite, quite a few players uh, played a role, you know, Sam Curran and... and uh, mm. um, Mo get a couple of wickets, I think, as well. Yeah, he got 30-odd as well. Yeah, he so got runs and wickets, you're right. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, just a few guys that sort of chipped in in different roles there. But, yeah, I thought um, uh, I, it was re- it's re- been a really weird series. If you compare it to Australia-South mm. Africa, where it's just like, Australia just look a lot better than South Africa. Like, yeah. what do you make of this? New Zealand could have easily mm. gone up 2-0. Um, mm-hmm. and, and yet, in some ways, you know, if you look at what Livingston has managed to do, um, and how dominant New England won a game that they were massively behind in. Yeah. I don't know how you run your form guide through this at the moment. So luckily they've got <laughs> two more games and hopefully some team wins two and we can 
you know, very confidently and wrongly say that the other team can't win the World Cup because of it. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because, you know, lots of guys did get runs and were good in patches for England. Milan got a 50. Stokes got a 50 on ODI return. Butler got 70-odd. You mentioned Sam Curran and Moyne getting runs. But there was one guy who performed in both games. Liam Livingston scored 50 in the first. And then that unbeaten 95 in the second. In a game where England had no business winning, right? New Zealand had rattled their top order. Trent Bolt was back. He got three wickets and he makes a world of difference to New Zealand's bowling attack, as you would have noticed. And I just feel like Liam Livingston is this sort of, you know, player who maybe he is brushed under the rug on like a global relevance level because he plays for England and they have so many of these guys. If another team had Liam Livingston, I feel like he would be talked about a lot more. Because but don't you, not don't only you feel he, even his IPL stuff is not hyped up as much as it's other not. people? No, absolutely not. It, He's not it, you're right. It's all. a really weird one. It's like everyone's waiting for Liam Livingston to not be as good as he is. Everyone's um, talking about Harry Brook, right? And Harry Brook <laughs> is great. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But Liam Livingston has been doing it for longer and he's not just a hard hitter. He It's massive sixes. Three sixes he hit uh, on the trot in the first game. That had me hooked. But he also has that bowling option. He's very versatile. I know he's not a out-and-out spinner, but he can bowl you some leg spinners, some off spinners. He has that skill set and this is an Asian World Cup. This guy should be like akin to gold dust for England if I really think about it. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what it is. So when the Harry Brook thing happened, the amount of England fans going to me, can't believe that Brook is in over Livingston. And I'm like, guys, Livingston's good. Like he's making <laughs> runs at a great strike rate. I remember one guy said to me, oh, but he's had a couple of not outs. And I'm like, but Livingston slogs the hell out of it. If he's having mm-hmm. a not out, it's not because he's chipped the last ball for two into a gap, right? <laughs> he's probably just missed the ball and hasn't hit his stumps. Like, it's, it's, I found it really, really interesting. And then suddenly he's exploded in these last two games. And I think he's made a lot of people... Just, I, I think if you go back, there's a lot of people who said a lot of nonsense about... N- not that Harry Book's not talented, but a lot mm-hmm. of nonsense about Livingston because of uh, Brooke. Um, mm. and they probably look a bit stupid at the moment. I think the two different okay. innings, you know, in the first innings, no one else from England looked like they could score on that wicket. He did. And then the second mm. one, literally no one in England could score, um, mm. and he was magnificent. And I've really enjoyed his batting. I thought he's looked quite smart. I, I, I think there's this thought that Livingston is like this hack slogger. Mm-hmm. And he, I, I think at one stage, he was averaging the 40s in first-class cricket. Once he started to not take first-class cricket seriously, I think it dipped. I think I'm remembering that right. But he averages about 38, 39 as, as, as we sit here now. Mm. He's a proper batter who yeah. happens to be very powerful and he's a very clever cricketer. Um, and he has some limitations. I think Brooke has a higher ceiling and Brooke mm-hmm. will be able to bat higher up the order. And Livingston talked about the fact he might never bat higher up the order in the side. But as a number five or a number six or even a number seven on occasions, they need him in that role. He's magnificent. And to have him as a backup to Butler and the flexibility to bring him into the side, as you said, and, you know, try and steal some overs. um, Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot to like from from him in that perspective. Yeah, and I think he's an absolute powerhouse. And when he hits them, I mean, I know it's a very cliche sort of statement, but they stay hit. That's just how massive he hits the ball. And those sixes were huge. But anyway, let's talk a bit about New Zealand, of course. Trent Bolt became the second, or well, he's the second highest wicket taker after 100 ODIs. Any guesses who number one and three are? I, I know you know this for sure. In one day. Most is. wickets. Yeah, most wickets after 100 ODIs. Trent Bolt oh. is at number two. Who's at one and three? You you have to know this. Um, uh, Stark? That's number one. Number three after 100. Wacker. 
it's a Glenn. Close. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't, yeah. Have, I wouldn't have put a spinner in there, actually. Um, yeah. A spinner would have been further down. I thought Wacker, and then I think there's another... Because uh, I looked this up the other day. There's a couple of strike bowlers up there that have ridiculous strike rates. Um, I, yeah. I knew about this because I knew that Stark broke Sir Glenn's record. So then when Trent Bolt kind of was second, yeah. I was like, oh, that's a, that's an interesting top three. But, you know... Are you not surprised he's only played 101 days? It is quite surprising. right? I was also surprised with Dale Stain's one-day count. It's not a lot. He hasn't what, played a lot of one-day cricket. What's Stain's, and, do you know? I, I can't remember on the top of my head, but I remember facing him, like Pakistan was facing him in an ODI. And I, I was going to say, if you were facing I like, him, I hope you weren't wondering how many of I wouldn't be played. alive if I was facing him. I would be dead. Uh, Manus would be on the show. <laughs> yeah, you're right. 125. It's interesting, isn't yeah. it? Because the whole thing about Bolt is, oh, you know, he's he's retiring because he, you know, he wants to spend more time playing T20 cricket and not be overworked by New Zealand. And then I look, because yeah. when we saw him be given the cap um, at the ground and, and, I didn't know that it was his hundredth, but there was an article in mm. Cricket Info, so someone else there knew it. And I went, hundredth? Surely we two hundred. Mm. And they were yeah. like, no, I don't think so. I think it's hundredth. And I was like, oh my God. So yeah, I, I think it is. Um, uh, that was the bit that I was um, surprised at. Yeah. But it's interesting, like Bolt is back. Kane is back. They don't have Bracewell, but Ravindra did well with the ball. He got a three for, you know, he's not obviously. It wasn't a good three for. Yeah, it's a he's a bits and pieces sort of cricketer, yeah. but given I, the I conditions, that, that could be the worst threefer um, mm. for New Zealand cricket. Not the worst three forever. Um, I'm sure in, he's probably in the context of things. Because I hope the New Zealanders that are selecting the team were watching the balls and not <laughs> just look at the overall figures. And he was rancid at Cardiff. Um, he came on. He bowled one ripping delivery. Next ball mm. at Cardiff was a half tracker, and the next ball was a full toss. And realistically, if England would have hit all the half-trackers and full-tosses that he had bowled so far, he'd be going at nine runs and over. The, Car- mm. the Cardiff one... Oh, sorry, the last one was Southampton where he got taken out of the attack. The Cardiff yeah. one, I had him down as seven half-trackers. Um, Jeremy Coney had him down as nine half-trackers. That's a lot of bad deliveries mm. on a favourable pitch as well that was, that was helping him. And True. as I said, he was bowling really good balls in between those. So it, the talent is there. And one thing I would say is, I don't know how many overs I've seen him bowl in this series, maybe 12, 13 overs. Hmm. He's bowled more bad balls in this series than I remember him bowling in the test matches in India. Hmm. And I, I wonder if it's either A, there's a lot of pressure on his bowling now in a way that there probably wasn't as much in that position. I don't know. Or hmm. two, it's a white ball thing and the white ball gets stuck in his fingers a little bit more. I don't I don't know. It might just be one of those things. But I, I'm really not sure that he's going to be able to bowl. Well, me and Jeremy had a conversation about this, maybe on air. We both think four overs a game from him in two different spells mm-hmm. overall. So there might be games where he bowls eight and there might be games where he bowls, you know, one or two and not at all. But mm-hmm. if he bowls more than four overs a game, um, New Zealand consistently, I think New Zealand's probably going to struggle. I just don't mm-hmm. think he has the, uh, he, he's just not in control. Look, he's still learning it. He's young. Yeah. And he's not a full-time bowler. Like the combination yeah, he of those was two things. Build as as this young batting prodigy from New Zealand, right? But he's been, you know, slotted into a role that maybe you know they had Colin De Grandhome back in the day in that sort of role, and he's not Colin De Grandhome. He's not even Jimmy Neesham with the bat right now. So that'll be an interesting selection conundrum for New Zealand because if they're going with you know two spinners, um, would you play Ish Sodhi or would you play Rajan Ravindra alongside Mitch Santner? So I think that's an interesting one from their perspective. Let's go back to England. Harry Brook, the opener. You saw him live. He struggled. 
got a really, really good uh, short delivery in the first ODI. I saw that one live. That was an absolute corker. Didn't watch him bat in the second. Do you think it's fair on Harry to be trying him as an opener? I mean, it's injuries, isn't it? I mean, the truth is he is the backup, backup, right? Yeah. So that's kind of what England do. This is kind of what, I, if you look at the sort of backup plays that England have had before, David Milan is a perfect example of this. They like guys who can bat one to seven. That was the whole thing yeah. with Joe Denley. They were desperate to make Joe Denley work as a one-day and T20 player because he could bat anywhere from one to seven. Hmm. Liam Livingston can't and Harry Brook can't, which is means if you get a niggle on the day, someone from your normal batting order is going to have to move their position, right? Yeah. Um, look, it hasn't worked for Harry. I don't think that means it never will or that he can't bat further up the order. But he just had, the, the worst thing is he doesn't look like himself. And I can't remember mm. who it was, but I was talking to a former England cricketer at the ground. And they, they were saying uh, that essentially he doesn't really have, he, he basically has batting slightly aggressive mode and mm. he has all-out attack mode. He's not a very good strike manipulator and he's not very good at milking bad bowling because once bad bowling comes, he goes all in. He's not fully developed yet is what they were mm. really trying to say. And that's what I've been saying for a while. People don't want to hear that because he's so talented and he's so exciting. Mm. And I get that, but he's not fully developed yet. You know, Shul McGill yeah. is not fully developed yet. And I think there's this, this idea, if you go back and you watch young Ricky Ponting and young Virat Kohli, you'll find those guys were not fully developed yet. That's yeah. what happens. And World Cups, that's a tough place to throw someone in. True. Especially out of One, position, as you said. Not that he will in the World Cup. Hopefully everyone will yeah. be fit by then. I mean, even if he gets selected, he'll probably only be playing in that Livingston-esque sort of role. And I mean, we'll More see how that England... Hope, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, probably higher up the middle order, for sure. Uh, one last thought on England, of course. You mentioned him earlier, but Reese Topley toppled the New Zealand middle order. <laughs> and uh, he kind of broke their back. And what I like about Topley, and even like to a certain extent Sam Curran, is that they give England that left-arm option. And I feel like they're going to really need that left-arm option in India. But Topley's had his struggles with fitness. So do you think that, you know, it's, it's a bit risky or do you think he's finally arrived? No, I think you just take him, don't you? He's, hmm. if, the, if they, I, I, what I mean by that is if they think he's in their best 15 and he's going to help, and he certainly bowled well the other day, as you said, I think you take him just because um, if he gets injured, you send him home and you replace him. The, the bigger danger is him getting injured on the day and, you know, or getting a niggle that isn't bad enough to send him home and all those sorts of things. Mm. I, I get the point, but I don't think I worry about that. It's really interesting the way they used him. He took wickets in the middle and they bowled him out. Mm. And he's basically, I thought he was there as their death bowler. Um, and But he was bowling so well. What, one thing I would say is the Butler in these two games has been the most aggressive as a captain I've ever seen him. Mm. In the game against New Zealand, even when Mitchell and Conway were going, Great. He had regularly sometimes one extra player in the circle, sometimes two extra players in the circle. Uh, catches, you know, it slip, but short cover at mid wicket. Took organized uh, punts with his fields and all sorts of things. Hmm. It really been interesting because he wasn't like that. And no one's really talked about it, but there have been people that have had whispers of like, well, it's not Owen Morgan. And we are hmm. now starting to see a little bit more, uh, you know, he, he was prepared to lose that game against New Zealand with those fields in order to make that breakthrough. Mm -hmm. And I thought he was really, really good at times in the next game. So as I said, they want to see Reese Topley at the end. So from a development point of view, that didn't work, but he was just like, 
well, Topley's on one here. If we keep Topley on, this game is over. And by the end of that spell, he was right. Yeah, no, that's always like, nice to see attack, uh, attacking captains who are really going for the jugular. Something we often criticize Barber about Pakistan. But moving on, of course, there's one very important topic left in today's podcast. And that is, of course, in the last Uncovered, we spoke about how Chamari Atapatu inspired Sri Lanka to a victory versus England in a T20. Well, they've gone on to win that tournament. And it was Chamari once again who delivered with both bat and ball, scored a 28 ball 44 and then took three for 21 with the ball as well. Surely, Jared, some franchise has to sign her now. Surely. Do you know Hypercourse, who I think is in the comments here? Uh, oh, is he? He, he, he sent me a message the other day saying um, that um, that Chamari's big bash record wasn't particularly good. Mm-hmm. And that uh, Hypercourse was sort of saying that's why he thought that perhaps Chamari had not been picked up as much. But clearly, she's in a renaissance at the moment. And I expect uh-huh. her to be coming back. But what I know it wasn't a full-strength English team, mm-hmm. but it, it was. I think it was a, a massive moment for um, you know women's cricket. It was. It was actually. Re- it was a really, really a interesting thing because it was on BBC that game, hmm. and Sri Lanka just humped um, England all around. There was no atmosphere. The crowd were completely broken by it. Um, until I think England took a couple of late wickets, perhaps, and people thought, oh, maybe there's a comeback. Mm. But it was kind of the worst ad for women's cricket that you would want. Um, mm-hmm. You wanted a close game. You wanted the England team to do well. Um, but from a Sri Lankan point of view, I mean, we talked about it last week. It's it's yeah. a hugely important thing going ahead. Um, and I certainly think um, the more upsets we see in women's cricket, maybe even upset, I mean, this wasn't upset, but the, mm. the more evenness we see in women's cricket the better and yeah. over the last few years we have started to see mm. more of it and every time i you know I, I, I keep pointing it out because that is the difference between the women's cricket that i started with and the women's cricket that we see now which is you do have teams who have that ability uh, just before we go though we also have one super chat which you might have missed oh there we go it's what's your uh, assessment of bangladesh's chances in the world cup following the asia cup debacle nawar naeem asks uh nawar um i <laughs> the problem here, Noir, is that I don't give a shit about the Asia Cup. And <laughs> I'm not treating the Asia Cup that much differently than I am New Zealand, England, or um, South Africa, Australia. And so I'm not suddenly going, well, New Zealand beat England, so I'm going to have New Zealand ranked above South Africa uh, because Australia hadn't beaten them. So I think it's a concern because these are conditions that should favour Bangladesh. They haven't done particularly well. But I had seen them do well over a long enough period, and I think there's enough good cricketers there that mm. I wouldn't write them off. I never had. I think, I think I had them as their peak, and I haven't done, fully finished my tears yet. But I think I had them as my peak of their best case scenario was mm. fighting for a World Cup uh, semi-final spot. I never yeah. had them as semi-finalists. Um, uh, the team's coming together. It's young. It's good. It's got a couple of good veterans around. But it is, I think a lot of their better players are either young or inexperienced um, in some ways. Um, and they're going to be going up against a lot of teams that are very, very experienced and deeper than them. And in World Cups, pro- you know, you've probably heard me say this a million times, but problem solving is a big part of it. And that's why experienced mm. players are really, really important. Um, but yeah, it's still very, very disappointing against um, for Bangladesh because winning the, this tournament or not doesn't matter. Making the finals of this tournament or not doesn't matter. But you, this is a time when you want to be showing really good signs 
mm-hmm. and they're not, right? And so, them in South Africa are going to be like, is this a blip? Is it just because it's warm-ups? Is it just, you know, we, we got done in a couple of games or are we not as good as we thought we were? And that's the big problem. You, you start to panic a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is the best Bangladesh team to go into a World Cup, you know, because they've done well in past editions as well. They beat India in 2007, played that boring as hell Super 8 stage or whatever it was. And uh, then in the last one, you know, they they got a real, few really, really good wins and Shakib was really this star. So they're going to need one of those best, three guys, yeah. Tamim, Shakib and Mushafiqur, to really go big, I feel, to have a, a successful campaign. I think best team on paper, um, but maybe too young. And I think that that is an important thing. But also, conditions that should suit their team. Like, I thought they played well yeah. in 2015, for instance, but the conditions didn't really suit the way that they played at that point. Um, mm-hmm. This should suit them better. If they're not fighting for a, a, a semi-final spot, again, they should be disappointed. But I'm not going to sit there and go um, uh, that, you know, that this is... Uh, I'm, I'm not going to sit there and be... Uh, concerned if they don't make the semi-finals but i am going to be concerned if they don't play good cricket and have themselves in the conversation yeah likewise one final thought before we end this there was some good news for england as well because mahika gore is absolutely obliterating poles and what an action just love a left armor what's your take on her the most important thing is that there's almost no left armors in women's cricket mm-hmm. so you yeah. get one and that's huge there's also not many tall bowlers so the combination True. of those two things i, I don't think people understand how revolutionary this could be um yeah as we get more athletes come into women's cricket we will see more left-handers and we'll see you know taller women playing but at the moment she has two huge advantages she's not that quick um you know she's certainly not an express bowler but she, and also she swings it she, i mean so she does three things that you would that are important for women's cricket um i and i I like the way she bowls it's very easy you know it doesn't yeah. look like she's um in any stress or anything like that aesthetically um, very very pleasing especially yeah, when she's yeah. uprooting poles right so that just makes what, it what, what, who would she remind you of maybe an rp sing um, maybe somewhat you know, rp Singh. maybe like almost like a combination between ashish near and rp Singh. that you know the, the those two bowlers um i i haven't seen i can't think of another tall left arm woman yeah no that's interesting uh, off I the top of my head hypercost if he's still around might might be mm-hmm. you know might have one but i can't think of many um from that perspective um uh who do that but yeah it's um it's certainly yeah she's great to watch obviously yeah. it was a bit funny when everyone said first international wicket and uh-huh. she you know got the same player out <laughs> for a different international team before um yep. that all made us laugh and have fun with it but but yeah very exciting talent you know that next generation of women over the next five to eight years when we see the women who are inspired by professionalism and who start to go well i could play football or i could play basketball or i could play tennis or i could play cricket Hmm. that's the big difference right when you don't lose women to other sports every time right when Mm -hmm. the only you know i've talked about this with a lot of the you know women cricket writers before of the biggest the most beautiful thing about covering women's cricket is that there so many of them are absolutely cricket mad and it's mm. great because the men are not like that right the problem with that is that means they've all chosen cricket um uh because of how much they love cricket and they're not being chosen because they have freakish wrists or because they're six foot five or because they bowl it do you know do you know what mm. i mean it, they're yeah, not I athletes who play cricket and who actually secretly hate the sport they play you know <laughs> 
Um, whereas the men's in the men's cricket, half of them would prefer to be, you know, footballers, basketballers, or golfers, right? And <laughs> and you you don't get that as much with the women. Uh, we I know it sounds stupid, but we kind of want that because we just want someone who's just incredibly talented, and that's why they've made it. And um, I'm not saying she she might be obsessed with cricket. I, I don't know enough about mm. her, but she looks like a good bowler, and that's a great start. Yes, I've been the most excited uh, seeing her after maybe like Izzy Wong was another one who really, really got me excited. I, I really liked her. But yeah, I mean, fantastic prospect. I have high hopes from Mahika. But yeah, that wraps up this episode of the Uncovered Podcast. Thanks for listening in, whoever was here in the live session. And yeah, we'll see you next week once again. This is Behram Kazi. You can find me at Def Mango with me was Jared Kimber. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are many other extras as well, including a Discord channel. There's a link to those in the show notes. Please review, subscribe, and tell all your friends about our show. Word of mouth is the best way of making our podcast grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Barat Sundaresan and Bayram Kazi. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston. Each episode is produced by Ishit Kuberka at Sound Potion Studio. The team from 42 help us out with the video side. Orijoti Saina Payu and Maida Akam, both producing podcasts, while Makunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube content. Tired of editing your podcasts and videos because you are as lazy as me? Well, try using Memento FM, an AI-based service that cuts and dices, so all you have to do is hit post. Try Memento FM today.